Amen. Feeling the Lord still? Okay. Don't don't get out of that. Don't don't let up just because we're switching gears here. Really, the Lord wants to continue to to come to us. He wants to continue to mature us even in our worship. I'm going to be teaching on that here in the next months to come about some shifts and how we need to change, how we can, again, grow up and become a more mature worshiping group of people. Because we have a, a, a good presence of the Lord. He's so faithful and He shows up so many times. But I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied because... I know in my spirit that we, this is just a taste. This is just a taste of his goodness towards us. And if we take just the, the appetizer and we say it's the full, it's the full course meal, then we're going to sell ourselves short. Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's giving us a taste and he's proving over and over and over again that he is good. And that goodness should, should translate itself into a response from us. Amen. All right, well... Today, I'm going to just kind of dive into my message here. Um, today, I want to um, begin to unpack some teaching on fivefold ministry. And um, before I, I begin, I just I want to say, I just want to kind of humble myself and say, <clears throat> I just, I don't know everything there is to know about the fivefold. I, you know, and not that that's hard to believe, but it's true. I, I don't. I don't possess all of the knowledge concerning the fivefold. And, um, you know, I, and I've, I've been studying fivefold ministry um, with different levels of intensity um, throughout the years. Um, but what I'm, I'm going to be sharing today and in the weeks to come, it's a combination of things, okay? It's a combination of, of my studies and my experience and, and my personal revelation of these things. It's, it's also going to be, a, a, I'm going to draw upon other fivefold um, people's ministries uh, experiences and I also, I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a researcher, I'm a studier. I love to read about things that are about the kingdom. And so I read a lot and I study a lot. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share stuff from people that I've learned just from reading their books. Because it, it's in my spirit and I go, yeah. I maybe not have experienced that, but I, I, that's true. And so... That's where uh, the information that I'll share, and again, it's, I don't have it all. I don't corner the market on the revelation of this stuff, but I do know a couple of things. And 
as I teach on this subject, I'm, gonna, I'm going to probably describe things in very clear-cut, kind of straightforward ways. When, in fact, um, every person who holds the office of a five-fold gift is different in how he or she expresses their calling, okay? So I'm going to describe things very clear-cut so that they're easy to understand and, and to, to define and discern function and purpose, but it's not always going to be that clear-cut. Not every apostle acts and looks the same. Not every prophet acts and looks the same. Same for evangelists and pastors and teachers. They're just, God has uniquely fit them with their personality and what, how they were raised and, and things that are important to them as they administer the gift that they are. But when I think of fivefold ministry, I kind of think of uh, like high school, okay? And, um, you know, when we went to high school, um, did we have just one person influencing our education? No, the answer is no. We had several people who were specialists, right? They focused on one specific area of education, right? They, uh, you know, none of us had just an English teacher, you know, for the whole year. And, you know, or, or no one like spent the entire 11th grade with just a math teacher, right? That's not our experience. What we had was every year we had a math teacher and we had a science teacher and we had an English teacher, right? On and on. Now, most students, um, unless you just hate education, you know, altogether, <laughs> most of us had a favorite subject, right? Everybody have a favorite subject? If you raise your hand, I had, yes, I had a favorite subject. Recess, yes. That's not in high school, but we'll go with that. All right. Lunch. Okay. When the bell rings at three, that was my favorite subject. Yeah. So, you know, and, and if we could have just studied that one subject, you know, all day, I mean, we've been happy, right? You know, I was, uh, I was in band in high school and played trumpet and, and, if I could have just been in band class all day and passed high school, that would have been just great with me. But I had to go take those dumb subjects like math, you know, where I, my first F ever was in math. It's sad. I have trouble counting with my fingers sometimes. You would think because I can keep time that I could count, but I can't. I just, four is all you got to know in music. One, two. One, two, three, four, one. That's all I got to worry about. Yeah, so, so, you know, I mean, if we could have, if we could have had that option, we would have. But here's the thing. If we would have just had one subject, we would have also grown up and become incompetent. Right? The fact is, we need math. <laughs> we need English. We need science. We need history to be able to succeed in life. That's why they're all required. That's why you can't graduate if you failed one of your English classes. 
You have to have them. Well, the same principle that applies in the church. The same thing is here. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And you're, you're, gonna, you're just going to see a whole bunch of this scripture over and over. Eric shared last week and he popped this one up. And wow, he did such a great job talking about care last week. I just, I love it, man. He is such a, a shepherd. He's such a pastor. And he's an inspiration. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, it says, It was he who, Jesus is the he, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Now, if this were, let's say, a mission statement for a school, this is how I think it would read, okay? It was he who gave some to be math teachers, some to be English teachers, some to be science teachers, and some to be history and social studies teachers, to prepare all people for works of service so that the human race may be built up and move forward. Yes, laugh. That was good. So like it or not, we cannot ignore the fact that all five gifts from Jesus are required to have an influence in my life. And they're required to have an influence in your life. If we ever hope to grow up and become mature followers of Christ... We've got to have them influencing us. And you know what? You can't flunk one of the subjects. And, and you know, it, it's like Eric said last week, you know, um, each of us are probably going to have a favorite subject. It's just the way we are, you know. But, but we need the influence of every gift in our life so that we can be successful Christians, successful followers of Christ, so that we can be um, the dread army that's spoken of in Joel chapter 2. I'm not going to read it, but go there this week and read about that army from the Lord, that dread army. If we're going to be that group of people, you have to pass all your subjects. So, my question, what is our understanding of the fivefold ministry? I mean, how would we define uh, the roles of those five anointings within the, the church as a, as a whole and as in the local church, you know, um, well, what, first of what I want to do is I want to share a story from Danny Silk's uh, book on the culture of honor that describes each gift as they all come upon a car accident. So if you've read the book or when you went through the class, you've probably already heard this, but I'm going to read it for everybody who uh, has never heard this little story to kind of help illustrate a little bit how the five anointings uh, can work together, okay? So I hope you enjoy this. All right. So... Um, so here's what happens. They come up on a car accident, right? And so the first out of the car uh, is the pastor. 
And he scrambles to assess the situation and begins a triage approach in applying first aid to the injured victims. He gathers blankets and jackets, water, and anything else he can find to comfort the people. And he surveys the situation to see if anything is threatening the safety of those who are receiving care or those who have been drawn to the scene. He talks with the victims to find out their names, their marital status, their, whether or not they have um, children. He gathers the vital signs and information and gathers any available emergency contact information in order to help out the emergency response team once they arrive. And he brings a sense of calm to the situation. And as a result, each person experiences a genuine feeling of care and connection to the pastor. Meanwhile, he wonders whether he should have been a doctor. So the next on the scene is the teacher, okay? Now, he studies the situation in order to figure out the cause of the accident. And he steps back and he analyzes the patterns of the skid marks and, and the distance each car moved after the impact and estimates the speed at which each car was traveling when the collision occurred. Drawing from his deep knowledge of the driver's manual and traffic laws, he develops a theory about who was at fault. His conclusion is that overall, drivers need more training and would most likely benefit from mandatory classes and continuing education requirements. Okay, so the next on the scene is the evangelist, right? And he arrives on the scene and he asks everyone who is lying in a safe, comfortable place, thanks to the pastor, the following question. If you were to die as a result of your, energy, your injuries, where would you go? Would you be in heaven tonight or would you have an eternal home in hell? He notices the large gathering of bystanders and people in the cars who have pulled over to watch. And he, he begins to address the larger crowd with the same concern saying, There are no guarantees that any of you will make it home safely tonight. If you died on the way, do you know where you would go? People give their hearts to the Lord right there on the side of the road. And he explains to all the new believers that the greatest gift they can give is the gift of salvation. And he trains them to lead others to Christ. And he prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And afterwards he says, that was great. And he decides to get a police scanner as soon as he gets back home. Because <laughs> he didn't want to miss any more of those moments in the accidents, you know. Okay, so the next on the scene is the prophet. And the prophet knew this was going to happen. Because he dreamt about it the night before. And because everyone in the dream survived the accident, he rebukes the spirit of death and declares with great faith and unction that all shall live and none shall die. He also proclaims that there are angels surrounding the scene of the accident and he prays that the eyes of all the people's hearts will be open to see in the spirit. Then he walks around and he starts to call out the destinies of various people and he releases a spirit of re revelation within the group and finally and quite naturally he begins to ask around to find out who is in charge at the scene. When he discovers who it is, he discerns whether this is God's person or not. 
Or if he finds that no one is in charge, then he will appoint a leader. And then finally at the scene is the apostle. He prays for the injured. He invites the supernatural healing touch of God into the scene. He begins to testify of previous accident sites where he witnessed the manifest power of God. And the faith level of the people begins to rise. He then asks if anyone can feel heat in his hands or her hands. He puts those who raise their hand to work praying for others to be healed. He demonstrates to all who are near that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He then opens a school for those who arrive at the car accident scenes and sends them all over the world to do signs and wonders. (laughs) Amen. So, it's just a cute little story that Danny put together, but it really does help display the reality of each of those different anointings and how, how they... How they manifest it, and, and really that every anointing is, is a mindset as well. It's a way of thinking. It's a way in which they address problems. Each anointing determines how a person sees various situations and circumstances. Now, as a result, different people will uh, offer and apply different solutions to the same situation. And we have to really understand that no anointing is more important than or, or even more correct than another. It's just each one is simply God's gift to us, the human race, to help bring um, heaven's perspective to the earth. So... Um, I want to read a scripture before we explore the five um, primary anointings in detail. I want to uh, point to some scriptural basis for the offices and the priority of these offices. So let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Say amen. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. So what we have here, we have Paul is clearly laying out an order of priority when it relates to the church. Relating to each office as it should appear in its importance within the church. Now, hopefully we all saw in the, in the, in the previous illustration that um, the anointings of the apostle and the prophet, they create... Um, a perspective that is primarily focused on two things, okay? And here they are. One is perceiving what is going on in heaven. And then two, bringing whatever that is to the earth. 
two priorities apostles and prophets have. Perceiving what is going on in heaven and then bringing whatever that is to the earth. Now, as we, we heard about the teacher, the, the teacher's focused on being able to describe everything that happened in an accurate way. While the evangelist and the pastor were focused on who? The people. The evangelist and the pastor are focused on the people. Now, each of these areas of focus is very, very important. But for, in order for them to function together as God intends them to, they must relate to each other according to his order of priority. Okay? You tracking with me? Say amen. So this order, it, it, what it is, is it's the areas of heavenly focus must come first. And they serve to influence the areas of earthly focus. Now, we just read in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, when Paul, he, he puts this order up for us. He says, first, apostles. Then prophets are second. And then teachers are third. And what he's describing is a flow. It is a flow that... Things from heaven are supposed to come to the earth. The flow streams from the apostle and the prophet, comes through the teacher, and then is released in miracles and healing. And it continues through helps and administrations and tongues. Now... Tragically, in many churches, um, the practices of teaching and helps and administration have become largely devoid of the supernatural. It seems as though these gifts were like plucked out of the list and, and separated from the flow of supernatural supply from heaven. Now, in order to protect this flow, the church has to be founded upon leaders <coughs> who carry a primary core value for the supernatural. So, and what has happened is, um, rather than having the apostle and the prophet at the foundation of the church culture, today's American church has largely placed the teacher and the pastor and the evangelist at the helm. You know, in most churches, the role of the teacher... Um, in most churches, the role of the teacher is to, to really just state clearly and accurately the truths of the Bible in a theologically sound message that builds security in the lives of the believers. 
And the role of the pastor is to create a church that has solid family values and systems in place that nourish strong character and great relationships. And in most churches, the role of the evangelist is to emphasize church growth and to train church members to share their faith and lead others to Christ. Now, the problem with that is that these are three earthly-focused models of leadership. Everybody say, earthly-focused. You see, without the flow of grace that comes through apostles and prophets, um, who are not only just focused on seeing what's in heaven, but also releasing that in the earth, um, but without that flow from the apostles and the prophet, um, these models of leadership in the church lead us to focus on what we know God has done in the past and we miss out on what he's doing right now. And what is the one thing we all just are scared of more than anything when we go to a church? Are they religious? I mean, that's the first thing we're trying to discern. Is this people living in their past? Or are they living in their future? See, in, in, in these systems where the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist are at the helm, they, they, what ends up happening is it, it leads us to care more about knowledge than the experience. And it's even harder to avoid this imbalance when we live in a society that is permeated with it. Right? I mean, most schools, most colleges and universities uh, in our nation have embraced a dualistic worldview that separates knowledge from experience. And what this does, what this worldview does, is it reduces the goal of teaching to just simply the transmission of information. That's why week after week after week, we beg you people to do something with what you hear. Beg it. Please take what you hear and do something. Because it's just knowledge. You just got entertained by charismaniac preachers and teachers. They tell a funny joke. They do a little dance. And then we go back to our lives. That's the system we're in. That's what we've been learned and taught through school. Just get the information and you're good. That's all that's required. And this paradigm is in the church. It is definitely here. <clears throat> and the result is, That much of the teaching ministry in the church today is really devoid of supernatural. All you helpers, hit the road. And if you're just going to leave, this would be the time to do it. So you don't feel bad like I left because this, I don't want to stay till noon. When 12's over, so am I. 
I got the information, and that's all I need. Baby, you better not push anything back there. We got a couple more months before that baby comes. All right. All the little birds that I'm distracted by are almost gone. Thank you. Oh, Jeff. Sunday, Hyundai, bow tie. So this paradigm that knowledge is, is, is okay without an experience is in the church. And the result, again, is that the teaching ministry is devoid of supernatural revelation and power, right? Instead, it's, it's really just limited to what can be done from earth's authority and, and, and an earthly production mode. But you see, the fivefold anointing of, for teaching, which is one of the gifts that Christ showed us. I mean, he showed us what, what the teaching role is supposed to look like. It's, it's very different. See, when Jesus exercised his teaching gift by both preaching his message and then what? Demonstrating it. He never just said, okay, there's your lesson, here's your notes. Come back to this part of the hill next week. And he always taught and then he demonstrated his message. In fact, in fact, when when people experienced his teaching, they were shocked by how different it was. Right? What did they say about him? Let's look at Mark 1. Verse 21. It says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. You see, Jesus is our only heavenly model. He is the template for defining the ministry of teaching in the church. Now, as we look at this stuff, we're we're basic we're we're, we're talking about is government. In the church. And the model of heavenly government um, in which there are clear levels of priority in the various roles, it's, it's kind of difficult for us to embrace and understand in our American culture. Okay? Here's why. Because our American style of uh, democratic government is designed to keep all of its governing members in a system of checks and balances where each branch of government must be accountable to another branch so that no one governor or judge or president can gain control of all the power, right? That's what we're grown up in here. And, and I understand that, and I value that system. I, I value that system as an earthly model. 
However, the scripture t- clearly teaches us something different. It clearly lays out a different model. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, In the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, and third, teachers. Now, I believe that most of the church has ignored (laughs) the scripture. Would you agree with me? One person. Thank you. Have you been to another church besides this one? Anyone raise your hand. There you go. Okay. Instead, what has happened is we've, we've gleaned these patterns from earth's model from earth's governments, in, a, in an attempt to replicate heaven. But you see, only heaven's pattern can produce heaven on the earth. Say, heaven's pattern can only produce heaven on earth. It's the only way. When we use other models, the church becomes nothing more than what the people already expect from their earthly experiences. Now, this is a huge and fundamental mistake. And it has serious consequences. You see, when we use human governing systems to define or reproduce heaven, we're we're not on the path. We're not on this path towards implementing a a heavenly system where we're on a path to implement an inferior one. And here's the thing. Heaven is never going to conform or replicate an inferior system. Say heaven. Heaven has to be our source. It has to be. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, he pointed to heaven's pattern for government. And and he supports this by what he says in Ephesians. Let's look at chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 says, he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, God's household, literally... From what Paul tells us, his household literally rests upon the foundation of the leadership of apostles and prophets. 
And what this design does is it allows the body of Christ to be built upon and, and to be built up into a holy temple. Ultimately, to become a dwelling place for God. Do we want to be a dwelling place for the Lord? Well, according to Scripture, the foundations and the leadership of most churches today, which consists of just pastors, teachers, administrators, are disordered. If we're, if we're going to look at this model, if we're going to look at what Scripture teaches us, and what we've done is we've, we've empowered the wrong portion of the list in 1 Corinthians 12. And the reason behind this is, is not spiritual. It's earthly. And here's the thing. James warns us against this. This, this practice of, of pulling earthly wisdom into our lives. In fact, in James 3, verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, <clears throat> submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And peacemakers who sow in peace, they raise a harvest of righteousness. You see, <clears throat> when heaven is the model for our culture, the primary result is peace. Everybody say peace. Peace is the goal of heaven. Because peace is the primary quality of the government of God. But disordered forms of government, what they do is they create control, which is the intended goal. See, Earth's leadership structure is motivated by the desire to protect the rule of those in office. Right? Aren't we just getting just disgusting heapfuls of that every day in the news? What an ineffective earthly model government can do for you. 
How's that feel? Are you sick of it like I am? Well, it's our fault. Because we've brought that to the church. We thought, great idea, America. Greatest nation in the world. It works so well. Let's build our churches on it. Instead, we haven't modeled a system of government that works. See, when we primarily structure the environment of God's house to protect um, the will of the people, We've stepped off the path of wisdom from above. Now there's this interesting encounter that Peter had with Jesus. <clears throat> you know, Jesus is asking his disciples and he goes, who do people say I am? What's the opinion? What's the poll say? And they go, well, you're a prophet, you're Elijah, you're this, you're that. Peter has the only brilliant answer in the group. He goes, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the son of God. Jesus says, that's good. And I'm going to build my church on that revelation. And then he goes on and he starts to talk about how this brand new system that they're being introduced to is going to end <laughs> with him dying. And here's Peter, the brilliant man with this revelation from heaven. And he turns around and he tries to talk Jesus out of dying on the cross. No, don't do that. That's terrible. You're so awesome. Everything you're doing is great. Don't die. Live. We'll take over the Romans. It'll be good. And here's the thing. <laughs> See how simple and quick and easy this happens. He just gave a revelation. You're the Messiah. And then 30 seconds later, he starts to introduce some earthly wisdom. See, Peter wanted to protect a good thing. He recognized, Jesus, this is a good thing. <laughs> this is a good thing that we got going on here. And I want to protect that. And so what Peter was trying to do, he's trying to protect this current benefit flowing to the earth. And how did Jesus respond to that? Matthew 16. We got those scriptures, guys? Matthew 16 and 23. It says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Ugh. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Guys, I want to say today, this is a clear word to us, to all of us, that heaven has to be the model. Say heaven has to be the model, not the earth. Just stand with me for a moment.
So this is just an introduction. I know it's warm. Most of you were yawning through it. It's okay. God's taking us somewhere. So I'm just going to pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, first, God, I want to repent for the earthly wisdom that I lean too heavily upon. I want to repent, God, for setting America's government system above the kingdom of heaven's government system. I ask, God, that you would just forgive me She would forgive us, God. So we've tried to turn the church into a democratic system that votes and it's the will of the people, God. We want the flow from heaven. We want to be a people who are in order and alignment with your system, God. And so today I ask, Father, that we would have light bulbs go off in our hearts. That we, God, would see that the eyes of our heart would be open with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that comes truly from heaven. And I ask God that as you speak to us, Lord, that we would say yes that we would come into agreement with what you say. And so, Father, I just pray for the Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of us who have made Jesus Lord. That he would teach us as you said he would. That he would enlighten us. And that he would show us, God, the benefits and the values of this kingdom that's coming to the earth that we might align ourselves with your kingdom that is coming and your will that is being done on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your systems and we thank you for your gifts, Lord, that you've given us. And I pray today that as we go, Lord, that we would not forget what we've heard and that we would put to practice the word of God in our lives. Lord, we also bless our fellowship time today. What a sweet opportunity to be the family of God, Lord, to love and build relationships, God. We pray that you would anoint our time. Thank you for all who prepared food, Lord. We just ask you to continue with us as we enjoy each other, Lord. We thank you for this day and we bless you. Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. If you were a guest and you filled out a card, please take it to the Welcome Center and uh, have a great day.